beyond excited to announce that I have partnered up with Magimix for this season of Crazy Sexy Food. As the inventor of the food processor, Magimix is a family-owned business that has an amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances and are cherished and adored all around the world by both chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. Fast forward to today and my beautiful Magimix cook expert is literally the most used appliance in my kitchen. This latest innovation is both a food processor and multi-cooker in one machine. It's a game changer for me and it's such a dream to use. I think of it as my personal sous chef. I give it all the hard work to get on with so I can focus on more interesting jobs like tasting, flavouring and serving up delicious meals. And don't even get me started on their ice cream machine, the gelato expert. It makes ice cream to rival even the best Italian delicacies. Oh, and if that isn't enough, come September, they're launching a new range of blenders. Fancy getting your hands on one of their products? Then use my code CSFMAGIMIX for a 15% discount at magimix.co.uk. Follow Magimix UK on social, download their brilliant app for hundreds of delicious recipe ideas and see how the amazing Magimix can become your personal sous chef in your kitchen too. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today I'm joined by what I would call a national treasure, Grace Dent. As a writer, broadcaster, and a restaurant critic, Grace has been a face on the culinary scene for many years. Working her way up the ranks through many publications, such as Cosmo and the Daily Mail, she settled at The Independent and The Evening Standard in 2012. By 2018, she took on the role as the restaurant critic for The Guardian. But this was not all. She has penned 13 books, is a regular on MasterChef, The Great British Menu, and most recently has joined forces with another national hero, Ainsley Harriet, to host Best of Britain by the Sea on Channel 4. Is there anything this woman can't do? I'm about to find out. Grace, welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. (laughs) Oh, let me for a second just bathe in the light of being called a national treasure, because... I feel very suited to it and it's something I've been (laughs) working on for such a long time. There's only so long you can call yourself a national treasure to bewildered looks. Well, here we go. I've officially officially given you that title. This is it. I I always wanted, not, not strictly to be a national treasure, but to kind of seep gently into the nation's conscious consciousness until and I've kind of got that now until you kind of can't go to Holland and Barrett without people going I know you (laughs) who is what so do you know my do you know my sister because I've been on so many television shows and I've been around for so long I think because I, I kind of you know I started being on telly 
when was the first time? I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, 15, 16 years of me kind of popping up. The, the worst thing is when fully grown adults walk up to me and say they used to love me on Big Brother what? years ago. I used to appear on, I wasn't on the show. I was um, on the spin off shows. Were you on like, was it like the go. piece on the side? BBLB. Yeah, oh my God, this is back I in the days when, that. when Dermot, when Dermot um, presented it. And, you know, we we treated Big Brother as if it was like the Olympic Games or something like that with this sol- solemnity. And we would go on and talk about it going, what had been going on in the house today? So anyway, I used to go on and do that. But yeah, fully grown adults walk up to me now and say, I used to watch you when I was little with your mo- with my mum. Oh, my God. And I just I find I find a swift karate chop <laughs> to the windpipe gets rid of <laughs> Ah, so darling, move away. No, no, it's funny. No, it's lovely. So yes, thank you for calling me a national. You're treasure. welcome. Well, this is. I, I hope that yeah. You better live up to my expectations now, Grace. <laughs> no, no, honestly, I'll, I'll bring my A game for the rest of the class. So, I mean, it's taken a bit of time to finally sit down with you because I think you are literally the busiest person in the world. We're finally here, and. Best of Britain by the Sea has aired and it's absolutely brilliant. You guys are traveling around the UK to find sort of the best seaside destinations and food in the country. Talk to me about it. You know, for people that may not have yet managed to catch up with it, I want to know what it was like and also just being with Ainsley. (laughs) We love him. Best of Britain. Oh, well, look, he's very lovable. Everybody in the country seems to love Ainsley. If you try and go anywhere with him, it's absolute bedlam, you know, because he's so incredibly well-known and loved. Um, Best of Britain by the Sea is, was going on holiday for seven weeks with Ainsley Harriet to the seaside and going and seeing... Uh, wonderful kind of boutique luxurious things and then cheapest chips sitting on the sitting eating chips by the side of you know in Great Yarmouth or somewhere like that the highs and the lows but they were all fun right what it what the show actually feels like is getting my holiday snaps back you know from the chemist like all those years ago when you actually have to send them away to be developed and it feels like just sitting looking at like this uh, distilled, like distilled rem- reminiscences of an amazing holiday. We had an amazing time. We, it was apparently work, but every day for seven day, seven weeks, we, pit, we set off in some godforsaken hotel in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And we drove to a beach, whether it be in the Isle of Wight or Aberdeenshire or Wales or Norfolk or wherever it was and we filmed on these you know desolate windswept beaches and then we would go and it's lovely gentle travel you know it's and then we go and have find somebody who makes lovely scones and then we go and speak to someone who's got a seafood shack and then but a lot of it is uh just me and him laughing Really, if you want me to be honest, I always wanted to make one of those television shows where you do all your sensible pieces, where you, you know, you say the lines that you're meant to say, but the real, but in the edit, it just becomes the offcuts, and it has, and that's what I'm so happy about because a lot of it is just me sitting in Devon in a hotel, going, 
oh my god the tide's gone out that just means that me and you are stuck on this island in this hotel together now like they've left all these bits in or him kind of going off on one of his real like kind of can you hear those dogs that is my by the way I'm so sorry my dogs have been locked at the far end of the house (laughs) and we can still hear them in in a they've been out for two walks this morning two walks with me giving them a really good talking to saying all i need you to do is be quiet don't worry i quite i quite like the authenticity of where you are it's fine oh you know it's very authentic right now (laughs) um what was i say the so yes being with ainsley a lot of the time you know we'll be doing something and ainsley will just go into full ainsley he'll go oh my God, this is wonderful. You know, Sally Salt, Percy Pepper, all that kind of thing. And then the camera will go to me and I'll just be looking at him in like wonderment. And I love the fact that they've just left it in. This like bemusement sometimes of being with him. But that's always no, the best TV, him. isn't it? You know, those authentic moments where you're sort of just being who you are. You know, I uh, the reason why the show absolutely works is because we completely love each other and I think that if we'd been sent away together and we'd both been very showbiz and you know been smiling and pretending to be friends but we weren't really it would show but um I'd met him a couple of times before I was certainly wasn't firm friends with him but I'd met him a couple of times and I loved him I thought he was funny and from the moment we set off uh, we met each other at Southampton one Sunday night and, <laughs> and got a ferry to the Isle of Wight. And that was just it. That was it. We were off on the road. And I remember, you know, the first times I was getting out of the van and he'd, and he'd come around and make sure that I'd got my suitcase and he'd make sure that I got through the door and I knew where I was going. And he's very chivalrous. And I thought, I like mm. you, you know, I really... I like you as a person and you're going to look, it's, and, and he did, he looked after me. He's a, he's a good egg. And where would you say <laughs> were some of your like standout spots? Where should we be going? Oh, oh God, that, you know, I love, I'm not just saying this. We had such a great time. I loved Wales. I loved Carmarthenshire. Uh, it was a part of Wales I'd never been to that much before. I'd been to Rill and Cardiff and places like that. If I'm very honest, between you and me, what was my favourite? It was Scotland. Was it? But don't tell anybody. Okay. Like, let's just keep it to ourselves. I the secret's safe with me. I, I love Scotland, right? If there's anybody Scottish listening, you need to be worried because I used to live there and I will come back. <laughs> I am going to spend my retirement years growing old disgracefully somewhere in Scotland. I love the people, I love the sense of humour, I love the 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 sarcasm, I love the doorness, I love their idea of a night out, I love the landscape, and I certainly love like we went to Aberdeenshire, there's like hundreds of miles of just desolate windswept beach, and we we got to Macduff and it was sunny, and this yeah. is unheard of. It was, you know, it was early in the year and it was bright almost tropical sunshine and it was the I was I was just so happy I I'm kind of going through a bit of a post-show lull at the moment I, I I've uh because we finished and came home and uh I feel like I've had a really lovely holiday and I don't think I can ever get back to that mm. place because 
my crew were great and the people were great and the script was great and the job was great and and darling now all I have to do look forward to is Michelin star restaurants oh gosh oh it's (laughs) Poor me. I honestly, I'm going to start just giving us. Well, that's a great me. idea. I'll keep. I'll give you ten quid. I'll give you ten quid. <laughs> Dig deep for me and my poor life. No, I know. I'm completely spoiled. I, I did. I had a lovely time, and now it's back to the um, back to what I do best, which is writing about food and all the other things I do but yeah it was it was joy and we will we will get to that in a minute the last question I want to ask about the show because I'm a big fan of this where is the best fish and chips oh gosh oh it's because I I know I know I'm talking to a restaurant critic but for me personally when I have fish and chips I find it very difficult to eat fish and chips in London yes I'm just going to put it out there I have to be in the setting of I have to be by the seaside for me that's just how it has to happen I think that you're right that fish and chips in London is just not the same it's it's not and I don't want it on a plate I don't want to sit with a tablecloth eating fish and chips what you either have in London is very 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 bad fish and chips in a chip shop that sells lots and lots and lots of other things so they don't really specialize yeah. in fish and chips or you have you know the 20 pound takeaway fish and chips <laughs> yeah which I mean I live up in East London you know you're going into Essex you have these incredible kind of fish and chip shops and they are it's 20 pounds and oh this one's in central London not as I don't want to name check them because these people are really they're doing a good no, 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 thing no, but, but I get it's not it. as good my f- yeah I love fish and chips by the seaside, of course. I had some incredible fish and chips in Great Yarmouth and it does add to it, you know, the sea and the sand and the sitting on a sitting on a cold slab of concrete, probably getting piles, if we're honest, <laughs> eating the fish and chips. It's all wonderful. Look, I'm going to say something that I firmly believe. The best fish and chips are in the northwest of England. My favourite fish and okay. chips... There's a place in Penrith, if you're on the M6, going um, through the north, the last bit of the north of England, and you're going up into Scotland, one of the last junctions before on the M6 is Penrith. Get off at Penrith and go to the Angel Lane Chippy, and it's a, just a really old-world chip shop. Nothing's been changed. You know, the lino and the formica and the salt and pepper pots, everything looks just like it was. it's still 1955. And they do mushy peas and they do curry yes. sauce. It's the old Peter Kay joke that he always says that you come down south and you go to a chip shop and you just walk in as a northern, northern, northerner and say, has the nout moist? Because there is no sauces or anything down south. <laughs> Whereas a northern person's like, True. I need curry sauce, I need vinegar, I need gravy, I need all these things. Well, anyway, the yeah. Angel Lane chip shop delivers. Okay, there we so go. So there you go. That, pl- that place is going to be rammed in a few weeks when this pod- <laughs> uh, episode comes out. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those joyous places that you know they I love that I love places that are resolutely unchanged because it's so easy to just go let's just rip everything out and make it new rather than repair the old things uh and I love that so yeah Mm. (laughs) 
So I want to bring it back to your childhood uh, for a bit. You were born and raised in Carlisle. I want to know what life was like growing up, who was cooking, was food important? Sort of explain to me how food played a part in your life in sort of your early years. Um, well, have you ever been to Carlisle? I haven't. Right, okay. <laughs> I mean... Explain it to me. <laughs> I have a feeling I might know. <laughs> Carlisle is, the, is, is about four miles five miles from the Scottish border. But everybody in Carlisle is vehemently English, right? And then the moment you get off of the border, everybody's really Scottish. And I think that says a lot about us as a people, right? We're kind of, I think that, you know, I think we, we got invaded quite a lot of times over the years and we were the first, we were the first people to get attacked. And I think... The, I think it shows in our DNA. I think we're quite a gnarly people, you know. And it's it rains almost all the time. And, you know, I grew up in... And I, I mean, I say this with massive fondness because I do love Curragh, where I'm from. But, you know, it's not it's not a glamorous place. It's, it's almost anti-glamorous. It's brutalist, they might say. These days, mm. and I grew up there in the late seventies and the eight, the early eighties as a little girl. And uh, food was incredibly important to me because food was like technical that are coming into a black and white existence. I think that food was important because going to supermarkets from an early age and the packaging. And the way things, you know, the the, the uh, seeing things in adverts in the children's break in the breaks in the children's television, and then going fi- going to find the banana Nesquik, or going to find the, the uh, you know the the bird's eye super moose, or whatever thing we'd been sent sold was massively exciting. And I'm talking about mm. processed foods here because processed foods were the most exciting things when we were kids to be able to get go down to the um there was a there was a, a news agents near my house where we all got where we all got our sweets you know that was light and joy to get 10 pence and go off and you know get your your sherbet uh flying saucers and your palmo violets which are actually disgusting i don't know why we oh, ever ate them yeah i never, never liked, liked them. them still ate them to be able yeah. to choose these things or to be able to go off to the the off license near our house with money and buy a lion bar and a and a, and a mint arrow and it you know it's funny because i think that my parents put thought into trying to kind of give us as good a life as we could but the things that stand out in my life is excitement was going to the supermarkets and buying the you know food and and going to the off license and getting chocolate and the ice cream van arriving having enough money because you'd saved up money and went down the back of the sofa to get a cornetto not a funny feat right not 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 a zoom or a fab but like a little bit classier a cornetto a strawberry cornetto that was when you were king <laughs> In Kurok. So food 
was incredibly important. I think the food we cooked at home in, you know, in the, the North in the seventies and the eighties, if you were a working class kid, uh, you know, as a, as like, you know, a very white uh, Protestant family, we, you know, we, though there was no heat and light and spice, there was none. Uh, this is why Northerners, uh, Generation X always like get so excited to talk fondly about like Vesta curries, you know, and things like that because these were our first tastes of something that was from somewhere else. <laughs> and the rest of the time, it was mainly mints, <laughs> mints and uh, tinned things, and if you were lucky, you know, tinned macaroni cheese or tinned spaghetti bolognese. Um, and very hearty things like uh, hot pot and mm. pie, pies. My grand made a good pie. But, yeah, hearty, quite dull and boring things. And with regards to spice and heat, no. You know, I always say that for a long time, seasoning to me when I was little was that awful canister of white fine pepper that would sit. Oh my gosh, I know that. Yeah. And you know, we would be terrified of it as kids to put it on because it. Yeah. we knew it was hot and peppery and then my dad would kind of insist on it and then he, my dad had a really big nose and he would always like put it all over his food and it would go up his nose and, and then he'd be sneezing <laughs> and that was seasoning, you know. Um, yeah. What I would say about the North, my childhood was that I grew up around people that had a very sweet tooth and sweet things represented joy and happiness and love. And that, as I've gone through my life, I think has been a thing that has been quite difficult to uh, break free of, you know, because uh, cake, for example, represents celebration. It represents an abbreviation in the day. It represents love. But you can't have cake every day. You're not meant to have cake every day. Why not? Exactly. Why can't you have cake every exactly. day? Exactly. <laughs> you can't have it all the time. You're not meant to. But so it's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, my my mum cooked. My dad had one recipe, and that was spaghetti bolognese. And it wasn't even it wasn't even spaghetti bolognese. It was just mince with Campbell's uh, concentrated tomato sauce in it, tomato ketchup, tomato soup in it rather. So, uh, you know, it it was a very bog standard 70s, 80s childhood. No frills. Which which you also wrote about in your incredible memoir, which um, is called Hungry, which you released in 2020. And I mean, just the title even like sums up my life, to be honest. I'm always bloody hungry. But you still haven't mentioned a very particular thing that you used to eat and is very big from that sort of era is angel delight <laughs> do you know i think i didn't mention angel delight because <laughs> i feel as if i feel sometimes like does it look like i'm obsessed with the stuff i do know that that's okay I do, no judgment. i do know that when when covid was first reared its ugly head and everyone was running around buying toilet roll and I I went. I, you were buying honestly, Angel Delight. I was like, right, it's the end of the world. Okay, right, it's the end of the world. What I need, if I'm just going to die in this house, what will I? Oh, Angel Delight. And I went and bought about ten sachets of Angel Delight. And I was thinking, 
Well, I'll be okay because I'll just like I'll just make the angels alight in a Pyrex jug and just sit and wait for the great <laughs> reckoning. And that's how my brain works. I was like, that's will be fun. I don't know why, but I can fully picture you doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just sitting on the sofa. Yeah, as, the, as the army arrives <laughs> and the zombies start to circle the streets, I'll just be sitting there going, oh, it's all right, don't worry. Got me Angel Delight. I loved Angel Delight as a kid because I I felt like it was magic. The idea that you got the sachet. And the reason, even the word sachet is just so glamorous. Sachet. It's not It's not a packet. It's a sachet, right? Yeah, yeah it's a sachet. And it's the, fact, it's the fact that, like, it looks like it, it's written as satchel, but it isn't. If you're in the yeah. know, if you're, if you're an intelligent woman like me, you know as a kid it's sachet. Anyway, and you just rip it and you put it into the jug and then you put the milk in. You don't even need a whisk. This was it. I mean, the, the the excitement as a child to know that this was cooking that was in my grasp, and you get the fork, and it's the fact that you you're, you stir, 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 and then you just leave it for a bit, and it sets. And there is that to me was almost like a religious experience. I'm like, you know, water to wine. Pfft, look at this. Look, and it's the fact that butterscotch. Angel delight, except no substitutions. People say raspberry, banana. It's the butterscotch because that doesn't taste really like anything. And what I find fascinating is that now when I'm in London and you go to these the fanciest gastro pubs and they sell you an £11.50 piece of brown butter tart, which is delicious. I love brown butter, but what brown butter tart tastes of is butterscotch angel delight. So it is, it's a taste that uh, it's just the richness of it and uh, there's something really sating and comforting about it. Uh, so yeah, look, there's no shame, but sometimes I just, I do just make myself a jug of angel delight for my dinner. <laughs> I think that's amazing. I think that's wonderful. We've all got our thing, right? Yeah. And, you know, I got to say, I don't mind an angel delight every now and again. I haven't had one for a while. Yeah. But look, well, whenever, if ever you're absolutely stuck, there is about nine packets left. <laughs> Am I? I feel like. Well, for the, for, the, for, the, for the next end of the world, I might be coming by yours honestly, quickly. Just <laughs> literally, I'll just be there in my pants with some kind of rudimentary headband. I think that's what you wear for the end of the world, isn't it? Absolutely, with a, with a, like absolutely. a kind of with a baseball bat to try if waiting for intruders I'd be like come in don't worry darling come in I've got the angel tonight <laughs> she's got the goods so I want to fast forward a bit um as far as I'm concerned when I was doing my research on you you have literally written for more publications than I can count yeah. but the best one that I found in my research has to be more magazine oh. That was one of the best magazines I used to read as a young teenager. And I'll tell you why, because I felt like it was more directed towards the slightly older teen yeah. because it was talking about a lot of sex and whatever. And I remember I would read it at like the age of 13 and I'd have my Sugar magazine, yeah. Ms. magazine, yeah. Shout magazine. But more, I was like, oh, I hope my mum doesn't know that I'm reading this one. It was brilliant. First of all, nobody ever remembers that I had a column in More magazine. So thank you. That is, it's, it's, I, I just gasped. 
because it's like a part of my life that just no one ever remembers and I never speak about too. Well, you got me. You got me. That's why you're a national that's, treasure. That, that's one of the reasons, <laughs> definitely. Two, more was filthy. Oh, my God. Oh, God. More was filthy. People always name check Cosmo as being filthy. Cosmo was filthy. No, more no. was smutty. More was dirty. More was kind of like, oh, here's a lovely photo of a totally gorgeous boy. Would you bet you want to shag him, don't you? And you'd be like, oh, yes, I do, actually. To position of the week. Here's, it was here's, it was literally <gasps> absolutely filthy also like that the problem pages yeah. like the questions that would be asked I would literally be yeah. like I don't even know what I this is know. exactly I don't know what that problem is it's, 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 it's exactly that it was uh it's it, it was a point in time where I think that we really took catering to teen girls in a really serious adult way and we wanted to titillate them but also educate them <laughs> and magazines were so important you know I hate being one of those older people that goes oh there was no internet oh gather around pull up a chair right no I hate doing that but it, it was a, a time before relying on the the, the the you know the the quickness of everything being there online and you, you did you needed these you needed these amazing kind of big sisters in magazines who, yeah that's what they were I remember one I, I remember pitching some ideas to them and them asking me to write a few times and then they gave me a column and the the and it was called something like grace oh, what was it grace on the sofa grace in bed grace undressed something let's face it was something like that but I remember yeah. that for every column I had to do a photo shoot so I was doing because this was like budgets were just amazing back then so it was like every single time it was like if I wrote a piece about shaving my legs I would do a shoot like with you know yeah. if I wrote whatever I've got some I've got some beautiful photos from that time just looking so young and 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 like pert and every every like everything's face like my tits are facing the right way without a bra everything my my arms are really skinny everything's just and I and I I, I keep finding like the polaroids in boxes and I look at them and I go oh my god and how miserable was I during that time because like you know Kenneth or whoever it was hadn't rang me back do you know what I mean I sit there and go, babes, you were smoking and you were literally sitting on the side of your bed going, <laughs> maybe he said Tuesday. So I think what I'm saying here is if you listen to it, you're never going to look as amazing as you once did. So just so, never. so <laughs> never. if Steve or whoever it is hasn't called you back, just go. It doesn't matter. I quite, I quite liked Kenneth, Kenneth personally. I hope Kenneth, Kenneth. I hope Kenneth did call you back at some point. Kenneth is exactly the kind of name of somebody who wouldn't call you back, <laughs> right? <laughs> Kenneth is the kind of guy that you meet him and you laugh because he's called Kenneth, and then before you know it, he's dumped you. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. God. I'm never going to look at a Kenneth in the same way again. Kenneth, bloody and hell! So, yeah. Sorry, sorry to any Kenneths out there, but we don't trust I'm not you. Sorry, Kenneth. You should have had your chance. <laughs>
But yeah, I mean, that magazine, honestly, was pretty sort of defining to my life at that moment. Do you know the funny thing about working at Moore was that, you know, Richard Arnold of GMB, do you know who I mean? Yes. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Richard Arnold worked there at the same time. And I always think that. It was me and Richard Arnold. And we both worked at Moore magazine at the same time. Because I always remember that you used to have a really nice orthopedic chair and I was not allowed to sit in it. So I'm not petty, but all I'm saying is, I still remember Richard. <laughs> she's gonna, she's gonna find me. That's it. I'm gonna buy myself a really good orthopedic chair. Is it orthopedic? You know what I mean? The kind of one that's like all. Packed. And you and Richard, you can't sit and in I'm just, it. All right. I'm gonna take it round to his house, or his mansion, <laughs> and I'm gonna sit in his drive. And here's the petty one now. <laughs> oh my god this is hilarious <laughs> I'm gonna fast forward a little bit um I obviously mentioned in the intro you know you finally joined the independent the evening standard in 2012 mm. and sort of by this point you're getting into a bit more of the food yeah. world and I wanted to know was that always something you were working towards or did you sort of just find yourself writing about restaurants and whatnot oh. I mean because that's a big jump from sort of more magazine let's just say or Cosmo or whatever um, to now sort of sidelining it you know sort of going down a certain route I had always I mean you know I mean, yeah I've been writing since the, I working in magazines and newspapers since the late 90s always always wanted to be a restaurant critic Never thought I would ever manage to wheedle my way in because, being very honest, back in those days, there was how did you get how did I get a job as a restaurant critic? Because they're the kind of jobs that by the time, by the time a restaurant critic who never bloody retires ever. They literally die on the job rather than give the job back, right? And even true. It's, it's true, you know. It and is true. It, uh, I always say that honestly. If I was hit by a bus, there would be like an hour and a half of people saying that I was salt of the earth on Twitter before people started applying. People would be going, "It's what she wanted." <laughs> be like, "Could you let her go cold before you?" It's so <laughs> it's true. Totally true. Oh, I'm so sad about Grace. But if you need any cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, you better be sleeping with your with your one eye open, eye Grace. Open. <laughs> um, so did I so look, the people that were restaurant critics at that time, uh, they all seemed to be out of a, of a certain ilk. Um, they were men uh, who had had lovely backgrounds and childhoods which meant that they were very good at saying the right things espousing about French gastronomy and uh it had not all the Mediterranean places that they spent time in maybe they'd had gap years and went to further afield so they could talk about that and then they knew everybody in the industry and they get really bedded into these jobs and I didn't think I'd ever managed to shake one out ever the only reason was that I'd been writing for so long, people knew me as being able to, the one thing that I do have on my side is I can churn out 
copy. I really can't. I'm like, it's like I've got a button on the side of my head and you press it and I can give you 900 words. It's literally my one of my only skills. And I was in the right time, right place, right time when the Evening Standard magazine, who had been faffing about with kind of guest columnists and then they'd taken on a comedian to write it anybody who knows the story already knows who I'm talking about and he'd very quickly given it back because it's a without you know honestly and I mean this it's a it's a full-on job being a restaurant critic Mm. so if you're not going to take it seriously you probably would give it back after a few months admitting defeat and he had admitted defeat and they asked me to cover and I so this was 2011 and I think I was working doing all kinds of other things and I got an email that said would I consider covering the restaurant column and I was I I didn't play it cool at all I was like yes please I wouldn't literally I'm not I and I I got in touch right away and the reason the evening standard magazine even looked at me because i pitched to them lots and lots of times over the years i used to dream of working for es magazine if you're not a london person listening to this so there's the evening standard newspaper which goes out every weekday and then they had this kind of arty farty uh uh how to spend lots of money socialite magazine that goes with it and I was so not that type of person you know I'm like everybody that worked there was incredibly posh and connected and I'm like kind of got silver fillings and you know once owned a Staffordshire Bull Terrier it's like I'm not their type of person right and they I used to say oh can I write these things and they would just always go that's a really nice idea but we've got a girl called Jaja who's actually writing that at the moment and I, I, honestly, I've got rejection. I've, I, if I, I've got in, I've got this awful silver box. Oh, I've got this silver box in my house, which is just full of rejection letters. Which sometimes I open and get them out and look at like people who are really nice to me now, who just completely said, like, literally stick your ideas up your bum, right? <laughs> One wow. point. But anyway, I love. Do you know what? I love that you kept those. Yeah. Because I think that's really important. Yeah. Well, I think it's really important and not in like a negative way, but I just think it's, I sometimes get that obviously these days with emails, but it's like, I'm just going to log that Yes. because one day they may have already come back to me in the past few years or whatever, or in the future they might. And I just want to remember that. Look, people always, whenever you display any of these emotions as a woman, people always say, oh, you sound very bitter or something like that, you know? As if you're not allowed to take these things on board and for it to make you stronger. Mm. As, as if it's not allowed to turn the knife. As if you're not allowed to have an mm. agenda. And and you are. You know. Sometimes I when when people have said to me in the past, "Oh, you sound bitter." Sometimes, sometimes I just go, "Good." You know. I'm yeah. really glad and I'm I was bitter. Yeah. I'm really glad yeah. the bitterness got me out of bed. At five o'clock in the morning and made me get loads of other ideas yeah. and send them. No, totally. So uh look, I I was offered the job and I covered and and I and I I didn't plan to become this 
person who everybody associates with food and restaurant criticism and being an expert on food just didn't I but it just takes over I'm sure you empathize Mm. if you link yourself with food by nature of it it becomes this thing that takes over your life because everybody wants to talk to you about food everybody you you know whether it every conversation you have every every dealing I have with a with an editor or a television company or it's always comes back to let's talk about food you know and then there's the whole circuit there's the there's the year that there's the the food's coming into season which you get excited about and there's the restaurant openings and the restaurant closings and the gossip of the industry and the continuous television shows being made and um it's it's ne- it is never ending and it did it it took over my life and then to write for the evening standard and you know I went back to the guardian which as their restaurant critic and then you know as along the way to go on to MasterChef, I it, it did. It became this. Uh, this is why it was this massive thing, and and it, this is why it's quite funny when I speak to someone like you, and they go, "Oh, you used to write for more." And sometimes I go, "God, yeah, there was a life at one point before I had to go into places and eat eleven courses, you know, or and um, and and try and 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 have and not uh, there was a life when I could walk into restaurants without it being very tense and everybody suddenly becoming like really anxious. I used to be able to just eat. Yes. I used to uh, I used to eat and not think about it. And now every single thing I put into my body, I need to think about. <laughs> well, this is what I want to talk to you about because I mean, obviously, being in the food world myself. You know, I I obviously know what a restaurant critic is, yeah. what it what they do, et cetera, et cetera. But I really want you to kind of explain to me the life of a restaurant critic. You know, yeah. you've said a couple of things about, you know, every time you walk in somewhere, it is that kind of, oh, here we go. You know, do you still just enjoy going out for meals or has that kind of taken it, like taken that joy or that, hobby of eating out away from you and also I want to understand what you're basing your opinions on when you have been asked to go somewhere or you've decided to go somewhere that you're going to write up about what are you basing on because I have a lot of opinions about what makes a good meal yeah and I don't think it is just the food I think it's everything coming together yeah food being number one obviously so kind of I know that's like 10 different questions in one. That, that is 10 different questions. That it. is 10 questions. <laughs> I enjoyed all of them. I hope you remembered all of them. <laughs> hang on, I've just got my PowerPoint. Right, hang on. Okay. The, f- <laughs> the first question was, what What do I actually do? I don't remember. It was something like, what do I do? What is my... No, just explain my, like, a restaurant what, critic oh to God, people. My job is that I am... Everything you say, everything I say from now on is going to make me sound like a wanker. So I, what I want you to remember during this is I am a lovely person. Look at me. I am nice. I'm not a wanker. I'm a conduit. Sorry, I sound like a wanker, don't I? I, I my job is, the bones of it, is that I have to deliver 52 columns a year on 
what I would say loosely is the state of the restaurant scene. And it's a review of a different place in Britain, in Great Britain, every week for the Guardian newspaper. I write about 850 words on a restaurant that I have been to. So that is a, that's, that's what I do. That's it. So and, and that alone, the moment that anyone hears that, they say to me, so you get to eat out all the time. And I say, yes, because that's true. I eat out all the time. And then they say, oh, that must be absolutely incredible. And I always say, yes, because you can't complain ever, ever. And you certainly can't complain to, to members of the public who walk up to you because it is, it's like, it's like complaining about being Princess Margaret in Mystique, isn't it? You know, it's like, oh, it's too hot. I'm so sorry. You know, it was a bit of a bumpy ride as I was carried to the beach this morning. You know, it's not, it's, it's, so you yeah. can't complain. But it, it's right. To be a restaurant critic, you are uh, continually advising people on where they should and shouldn't go. It sounds like a ridiculous throwaway job. But I do think that it is actually, it seems to bring uh, light and happiness to people. And it seems to, it seems to be useful because there are thousands of restaurants and people like to know, they they like a steer on where to spend 200 quid. It's really easy mm. to spend 200 quid. Again, this gets me into trouble when I say it. It's, it's the truth. No, but it, it's yeah. the truth. Especially in this day and age at the moment. So when people say, people will instantly say, well, you're not a Michelin star chef. So how, why should you, why should you talk about this? And I think, well, no, I'm not, but I am heavily embroiled in the restaurant world. I don't think, you know, me and the other kind of very well-known restaurant critics, whatever you think of us, we know about restaurants. We go to them all the time. We know which ones are good. We know which ones are bad. We know which ones are all hype. We know we and we know all the background. We know who's got an amazing PR, who's placed them in all of the <laughs> magazines, but the place is all smoke and mirrors. We know we can just look at a menu and we know when things are fresh and, and I mean, the recipes are fresh and new and exciting and we know when we've seen them a million times before. Um, and I think the thing that we probably all have in common, whether it's me or Jay Rayner or Giles or Marina, is being able to just write. And it's, I don't just mean about food. I mean, write kind of rollicking text that means that you will keep coming back because I always say look so I write these 52 columns I don't think 98% of people who are my loyal readers who come every single week they're not going to go to these restaurants I don't you know they might snip them out of the paper and put them in a folder and hope that one day they might come to London and do that thing but the majority of it is people just want to go on a journey you know, they they might be living in Huddersfield and they only go to London maybe once a year and they want to have that feeling of what was, you know, the, a lot of them just think, what's Grace Dent been up to this week? <laughs> what has she been up to? And they come and they enjoy 
the kind of the journey, the sensory feeling of going to this restaurant and they love it when I hate it. They love it. And they, I think they maybe like it less sometimes when I'm glowing about things. So that's what I do. Is it fun? I am very aware that it is one of the, it's, it's, it's the most, I'm the luckiest girl in the world. I am utterly aware of it. On the, on the ground, day to day, it's stressful and relentless. And uh, there is always a deadline. And there is always a chef that's angry at me. And there's always a PR that's angry at me. And there's always other critics and other writers that are being horrible about something I've said. And it, it's cutthroat, you know. And it's it's stressful. It's like... Uh, and also your body doesn't really belong to you because you're continually having to kind of feed food into it and taste it and <laughs> write about it. So even with the best will in the world, you might get up and say, I'm going to be really, really saintly this week and only live on, you know, whatever, That's seasoned protein. <laughs> <laughs> seasoned protein and steamed rice and then before you know it you're back out um, eating 15 courses I mean just sort of back to something you just said so I guess that goes back to one of my other 10 questions was what are you so I'm going to split this up what are you basing your opinions on so you're going to a restaurant for something that you're going to be writing up next week let's say and the food is mediocre. The service is fabulous. Yeah. The venue, the the vibe is great. Yeah. Like, how are you kind of saying or basing that opinion on? Okay, the food was was okay, yeah. but the service was brilliant. Um, the room is beautiful. Yeah. Does that mean it's a really good restaurant, even though okay. the food is mediocre? Look, in that instance, in that very instance that you're talking about, then that sounds like a bloody great restaurant. Like some of the, so you're saying the food's all right, you know, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to blow you away. It's all right. Mm -hmm. They do a good pasta. They do a good, you know, they do a good salad. They do a good whatever, you know. But the atmosphere is incredible. And when you get there, the people on the other tables are fascinating and and it's joyous and the service is prompt. That's a good restaurant, like in, in that particular case. And I can I can think of five or six restaurants that are like that. Mm. Um, what do I look for in a restaurant? It's really difficult to distill it because it's almost un, indescribable. It's lots and lots and lots of different things. The basic way to say it is, and this sounds really glib, would I recommend it? to you and I and and I and I and I and you know that right away when you walk into a restaurant for the first time and you get your menu and you sit down instinctively you know how you're feeling you know it right and it's in you know it it's in how you were greeted at the door it was it did they make you feel warm did they what did they do they 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 showed you a table did you sit at the table and think right away I hate this table. 
I hate it. I hate it. It's drafty and it's wobbly and I can see the toilet. And I asked if I could change the table over there and they were horrible to me. And now I'm starting to think that there aren't actually any nice tables anyway. And this awful feeling begins in you. If you walk into a restaurant and those things don't happen, you know, everybody's lovely. And then you sit down and you get the menu and things are jumping out at you right away. thinking, Oh God, I don't know what to have. This is great. What I always think is there's always a moment when these lovely when this when you're on this lovely journey with a restaurant where you look across at another possibly empty table over the other side of the room, which is in beautiful light by a window and it's set for eight people, and your head goes, I must remember this place because I have got so-and-so's birthday coming up or my family are in town they would love this and this feeling this natural feeling comes within you that you want to share you're already thinking about when you can come back why why are you thinking about that because of 20 different things you know and I really think that that is just my job it's 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 finding these incredible places and saying please come, please come, please come, please come. You know, the food was great or and the, the service was great and the tables were great and it was, and just being able to sell that. By, uh, by turn, I do, I love to be able to call it out when it's just all smoke and mirrors, you know? I mean, not, I mean, with a caveat, I hate that if it's a very small restaurant. If it's a tiny independent restaurant, I'm not, I don't get any joy out of, writing a column saying oh by the way this isn't the Ritz because it never said it was the Ritz yeah yeah um but with uh you know I I do I do love being able to say this was a really horrible experience and don't don't go there just because it's on nine lists of where to go in Leeds and how do you and how do you deal with that when it is then taken to print and you do get that feedback I mean are you just very thick-skinned are you like well this is my job I'm not going to lie to people you know you've uh, there has to be an element of honesty in what you're doing and what you're writing I think the concept of having a thick skin is it's a bit of a myth because I think your skin changes day by day sometimes I can be the thickest skinned woman you've ever met and be very kind of I didn't fight my way out of Carlisle in the 80s and get where I am without taking on board what this chef's saying about me on the you know sometimes I'm filled with this you know I'm titanium I don't care and then you know you're tired other times you're tired and you're you know you've really tried to do your best and you're up against it and you've written something and something was slightly wrong or you know you didn't realize you defended so and so and then it like the massive pile on online it's horrible you know it's and Mm. I think that um I think you know one of the one of the worst things about being a restaurant critic is uh having to write the truth sometimes uh and you sometimes find yourself just not being able to. And then you end up like damning the place with faint praise, which is just as bad, you know. Uh, but it's very personal. Restaurants, I can't think other than if you were to write about uh, theatre, maybe, fashion. Yeah, 
as a critic for a broadsheet, it's so public what you're saying. And I can't think of anything, a job where you have to criticise people's baby so, you know, so publicly. So it is, it, it's, mm. it is hard. Um, years ago, I used to get really, really tense about things coming out. Uh, as if the magazine, the things being published now, I just don't think about it. I kind of like live in this. Uh, I live in this kind of haze in my head where I don't really know what's come, what's what's going to be published when. Um, my partner has alerts on his phone, so he often gets in touch and just kind of goes, "Well, I don't think we're going to be going back to tattoo, Grace, are we?" <laughs> Don't think we're gonna be invited to their Christmas shindig, Gracie, and I'll be like, oh, what did I? What oh, was? God. How bad was it? And he'll go, oh no, it was true. He'll go, it was true. And I got two last questions to ask you about sort of this restaurant critic sort of fabulosity that it is. First of all, do you tell the restaurants you're coming, or do you show up? Like, as in, like, do you book under a different name? I, I assume never tell anyone I'm coming I mean it, it yeah, my, my ideal my ideal right my ideal reviewing uh state of being would be that I book under a false name nobody catches on it's me I turn up the waiter or whoever is on the floor doesn't recognize me and I manage to eat food quietly in a room that hasn't turned into absolute panic stations that's the best that is the best that is ding 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 that is the best ever set of circumstances when does that happen and how often does that hardly ever and I'll tell you why really why because um if I tell anybody where I'm going at all anyone anybody I can trust nobody because everybody talks. So I am continuously, I can't trust anybody. I'm continuously WhatsApping friends and going, did you tell people that I was going, who did you tell that I didn't tell anybody? I'm like, did you tell anyone, your hairdresser, your child, anybody? (laughs) Because I got there and they bloody knew I was coming. And then people go, oh, yeah. Wow. I might have said okay. something because everyone's got WhatsApp these days and all the chefs and the wow. owners yeah. and the PRs and everybody's got WhatsApp. So it spreads really quickly, you know. And um, so, you know, and when you say this, people kind of think, oh, listen to her. She's a bit insane. She thinks everybody knows where she is. She's paranoid. No, honestly, you turn up and you, you think you're... You walk into restaurants and people go, "Oh, hello, Grace!" And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, right. I think I think my game's up." Uh, so yeah, I I don't I don't um, I I never tell people I'm coming. Another thing is trying to book because everybody needs credit cards these days. Oh my gosh! So how can you book? Yes. How can you book? You know. Um, and uh, and also, when you're trying to look at, when you're trying to book through Resi and all these different reservation systems, they've all got cookies that have been left in places. Oh so my God. I yeah. have got loads of false names, 
but the false names link back to my credit card. So it's impossible. Honestly, it is blood. Gosh, you're absolutely, yeah, I didn't even think about it's that. So it's impossible. Trying to get into places. Like I got in somewhere the other day, I was reviewing just outside uh, Tunbridge Wells and um, I've dyed my hair. Like, you can't really see it here because it's all up, but I've got like, kind of old blonde highlights in my hair and I took my hair all down. I swept it all down, wore it all down. So it was over my face. I put my glasses on, big glasses, and I didn't put any makeup on at all. So I looked all washed out. And I was like, sweatshirt on. Didn't I thought, I'm going to go for lunch and they're not going to find out it's me. And I managed to get, I got through the first course. I got through the second course. And halfway through putting down um, the mains, the the woman who owned it, she put it down and she went, and here's your mains. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like... That is brilliant. How, how, for, for, for fucking hell, how did you get it? You could see she was like the worst, the last thing she wanted to say was fuck. And she just come out of her mouth. Oh, that is absolutely that that priceless. Is, that's just, that's kind of, you know, it's really, yeah, it's really, it's really hard to get in anonymously. Um, and then I guess for like the average person, because this is, you, you've touched on something that I know that I've fallen prey to over the years, which is, going to places that have been hyped mm. up because either they've got the right PR behind them that has just like sold a whole different story to the world. Yeah. Um, how, you know, for like the average restaurant goer, how can we like, is there any way to navigate that? Because I'm not going to name names, but there are so many restaurants that have recently opened and I'm like, and I, and I still think I'm the average person. I know I am, but it's like, I know I'm not going to go there because I know exactly what is going to, I know what the experience is going to be like and I can't be asked for well, it because they're going to take all my money and it's going to be shit. This, I think this is really what we do as restaurant critics. Yeah. Because lovers or haters, you know, we, we know, we know all about restaurants and we know who all the PRs are and we, we see the game so when we, you know, I'm not, I'm not slagging off the the big London restaurant PRs who now, you know, they, they, they cover restaurants all the way through Britain. I'm not slagging them off because these are often women exactly like us. I'm going to say women because it's a, a lot of women, women exactly like us running incredible businesses and doing PR and manufacturing incredible press and publicity for restaurants and doing an incredible job of getting bums mm. on seats. And mm. yet what they do is very, very different to me. They go in and they sit with the chef and they know how to position a restaurant to make it look incredible and to get exactly the right people in. They're not critics. I don't get invited to these opening parties. I don't get invited to any of these things, but they get the right influencers and they they look at the menu and they make sure that there's these wonderful dishes that look great and they get an amazing story you know of oh god it's a converted barn and like the chef once worked at bloody noma and blah 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 blah, yeah. blah. and yeah. and it's yeah. all wonderful and here's some 
in incredibly beautiful girls in dresses that like stop at their navels and don't they look amazing and isn't it lovely and now we're going to have a friends and family night and 400 people who know us are going to come down and say how fucking great it was on Twitter and it's all going to be great because they all got a free canopy and it's all lovely and then the Vogue are going to come down and they're going to put it in their pages and say it's like a must see and it's going to go on all the lists and I always say when all this is going on I always go let them have their fun <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I sometimes I see it these places you're talking about darling yeah like yeah I watch it all going on and I go mm. okay let's see shall we because I know that mm. that is this with what all this fictitious restaurant we're talking about i'll go i know for a fact that that is by an a, a massive corporate restaurant chain and i know that they don't have any named chefs and i know that that menu is full of the most the cheapest cheapest ingredients that has been cut and cut to make to make it stretch further and i know that that is not a nice location and I know that there's no way if they've got 500 seats that they've got enough staff to fit to fill that. So the service is going to be terrible. Yeah. And I and I already kind of know this. And I think I'll give it a chance. And I I think I go in as a critic, and I um, you know, I I I I'm not swept swept away by the hype. Giving me free food doesn't doesn't sweeten me, you know. As well, you know, if I'm in there and people go, oh, there's Grace, let's send her a free donut I don't care I don't want a free donut you know it's mm. not going to make me start telling my readers that it's too it you know that it's worth going and giving you 280 pounds to sit in Chelsea in some yeah. you know converted building that you've spent that somebody yeah. has spent 10 million pounds digging up the basement to make into some kind of weird you, you know the places I'm talking about no I know you I know, know it's just it is it, no I know and it is it is funny when you kind of break it down mm. um yeah no you're, you're absolutely right dare I ask you if you're allowed to answer oh this could you give us some of your favorite restaurants oh god I mean yeah I, I always ask my guests but like you know are there any that you just absolutely love that you always go back to Right. Um, I absolutely don't mind talking about my favourite restaurants, but the problem I always have is, and again, this is me complaining about being Princess Margaret, I don't get to go back to restaurants very often. So people okay. people always... So the places when I go, when people say, where do you go back to all the time? And I go, uh, Wagamama's in Westfield, Stratford. And they go, Are you so, uh, what, what? But I'm like... They're the places like Tonkotsu and, uh, you know, spent half my life in Pret-a-Manger because they're the places that I can go back and nobody cares and it's just kind of grazing and sustenance, you know. What do Whereas, you mean to Pret-a-Manger? Oh, well, if I was to walk in right now, it depends how, many, how, how, how big am I going if I'm being, if I'm being saintly, I would have the prep porridge yeah. with honey and a white Earl Grey tea. Okay. Because that's me being saintly. I might have a piece of some of the vegetable crisps. If I was going for it and I didn't have to wear a tight skirt at any point, I would have the, you know, that massive cheese artisan 
ba- baguette yes. with the, yes. the posh cheese. It's my favourite they... one there. Oh, I love that. It's, it's the beautiful. posh cheddar, the posh cheddar and pickle. It's beautiful. It hurts. It's amazing. It hurts your face as you put it yeah. into your face. It actually, it actually like bursts the skin on the sides of yeah, your lips it's, as you're eating it. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, a sandwich that punishes you. But then there's, I love there's, that. There's um, you know, there's loads so of. Funny. But then you look. I think you know some of the restaurants that like I you know, I love in London because I mean of course I love going to Claridge's and of course I love going to the Connaught and of course I uh, you know I used to I love going to all the um, you know the Corbin and King restaurants and I I you know I love places like that however my happiest times are when I can get into places nobody cares so I think you know some of the you know I went to I think that's just drive past of people happy to see a restaurant critic obviously in my head just in my head it's a national treasure they they saw a national treasure they just they know they could you just wave could you just wave flags oh god (laughs) to hear with them you know, I love it when I go on holiday with a few friends and we go somewhere like Kefalonia and you just go down to some beach shack and sit mm. on what is essentially an upturned bin and eat chicken and giant beans. <laughs> and that is my happy time and not having to review. They're, they're my, that, they are my absolute happiness times i'm in the lake district speaking to you at the moment and there's you know there's quite there's a few places up here that you know there's this there's a pizza place on the main street which is literally not not no it's it's you know it's like a red pizza place with like plastic tablecloths love it and love it you know they do not it's not not modern italian in any way you know not it's 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 1980s British Italian and I have been going there with my niece and my brother since she was a baby and you know you have you have spaghetti and you have like a a scoop of their ice cream to me that is that is absolute joy my brother always orders the pizza and he uh, and he puts a, a salami and blue cheese on it Ooh. And that then puts amazing. and then puts hot sauce on it, and uh, we call it the big dog because it, we just think it is the most macho pizza that you could possibly. That have. sounds delicious. The big dog. It smells of feet. I quite, I quite <laughs> like food that smells of feet. I have a problem. I know. <laughs> <laughs> have I told you how? Have I managed to say how difficult my life is? I mean, you're, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've sort of got a bit emotional at times. There was a little yeah. tears, a few tears a bit, uh, earlier on. I need Do one you... of those adverts, though. I need one of those adverts that plays in daytime television where it's just <laughs> me looking really sad and it's just, dig deep for Grace, just five pounds. <laughs> we'll keep her in the truffle fries she so readily deserves. Just me looking sad cannot. in a big pair of earrings, just literally. a massive pair of diamond earrings shot in black and white. <laughs> with a laptop going oh I'm so sad I have to write 800 words about about dauphinois potato <laughs> and my shank of lamb my poor shank of lamb which was actually a little bit tough 
<laughs> do you cook? Yeah. Do you like cooking? Yeah, I do. I, 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 I love cooking. I don't get to cook as much as I want to. You know, I mean, when I was doing the show with Ainsley, I was mm. away from home and then I come back and then I've got a massive backlog of restaurants I need to be at, so I don't get to cook. My happiest times are uh, just faffing about in the kitchen. I would love to tell you that I'm, you know, I'm kind of mate. I've got, you know, the Ottolenghi cookbook out and I'm flinging around pomegranate seeds with wild abandon. But generally what I'm doing is, I, you know, my, my, my guy has got, this incredible appetite all the time he's like always hungry I always say it's like he's just like he's a furnace and you just have to kind of keep like trying to like trying to put yeah. coal into it yeah or a bit like going out with a Brabantia 130 litre bin with goggly eyes you know and like every time you look at him he's like oh I'm quite hungry so at the moment I've been working on the ultimate air fryer sandwich oh so you kind of you make the sandwich and you load it with all the things, all the stuff that at the moment we've been using a lot of Comte and like really good oh, like tomato, mom. tomato relishes and things like that. I'm always getting set relishes as well. I'm always getting gifted like pickles and things like yeah. that. So I, uh, I got my poor life and then I put it all into the sandwich, butter the bread on the outside and then air fry it for about eight minutes and then I get them out and I um and I serve them the prototype I'm honestly I'm writing a cookbook at the moment are you yeah yeah I've been writing this cookbook and literally every recipe I come up with is something like that and I'm thinking god I really am gonna have to put you know sling in a tagine at some point oh that sounds amazing (laughs) and then yeah (laughs) I mean, if that wasn't enough of all the things that you do in your life, you are also um, a fellow podcaster with your brilliant yeah. podcast, Comfort Food, which I'm a huge fan of. And I need to ask you, what is your comfort food? My comfort food. So if you haven't heard the podcast, the idea is that you bring the secret snack that you cobble together when nobody's looking. So everybody's is a bit grotty, right? Nobody is allowed to come on my podcast and go, oh, my my comfort food is a superfood salad with some you yeah, know whatever. no one no one's allowed no, to do that no. you've got to bring it and bring your shame um and the, and it and it kind of came to life because i was once talking about how sometimes i get in when i'm really sad and put over and make i'm going to say mccain oven chips and make them and then serve them with uh powdered gravy you know like kind of that oxo yeah, gravy granules yeah. Yeah, and serve them with those, but with like a kind of Jackson Pollock arrangement of mint sauce over them. So, and people were, and, and somebody was a bit like, "Well, excuse me, why would you do that?" And I, and I went, "It's like an instant Sunday dinner." And as I was saying it, as it was coming out of my mouth, I thought, "Oh my god, that is the saddest thing you've ever said." That is like, it's properly terminally tragic. This idea. Of, being, of trying to nourish yourself with just all these like hyper, hyper processed foods in a bowl. But it is, it's delicious. And what I decided to do was ask celebrities to come to my house and bring the thing that, that they do. But they would never, it's never something like Stephen Fry came over and he just got this tin of skippers, like these stinky fish. 
and just got them out of the, and then plonked them into a bowl and kind of mashed them and then mashed in some little baby tomatoes and kind of spread it on you know like there were spines in there i honestly oh. it was the, the spines and he's quite he's quite a like he's a he's a very tall man yeah so it was quite there was something quite medieval about watching the spines go into his mouth but yeah that's the kind of thing that he has by himself or you've got a you know deborah meaden from dragon's den she again massively highly high the fearless woman Mm. she's a lion you know she's just she she's just says she doesn't know what fear really is she Mm. just walks she walks towards things when they're frightening and and she said she can't cook at all so if her if her husband goes away she's like not to put too blunt a point she's fucked she can't cook (laughs) she's like you know she's like standing by the fridge just like kind of eating single pieces of twix you know and hoping for him to come back so her husband came back once and said deborah have you put a chocolate bar between two pieces of bread and she said can i not do that anyway her snack was just a whole tray of vegetarian sausages and she just gets them out the oven and then just spreads them with marmite (laughs) what i know I'm just trying to think about that for a second. Actually, quite delicious. I, I gotta say, I'd probably try that. There you go. I just love marmite, so I would put it with anything. Joe Brand brought. I've heard this one. A a loaf of white bread, (laughs) and she got one piece of white bread and just fried it in tons of butter, (laughs) and then she got two other pieces of white bread. I put it around this really delicious, fried, crispy, buttery, and just put a load of brown sauce on it. It was delicious. I bet it was. I've got to say, the one that really threw me, and I think it's obviously because I'm not a massive fan of mushrooms, was Laura Whitmore. No, no, that was just satanic. That that was just that that kind of like, I I had to have a moment's breather after that one. To be quite honest, if there was ever any more evidence (laughs) needed that Laura needs to be removed from polite society, (laughs) it was... Because the thing is, she's so pretty as well. You would never know. You would never know. I know. So for anyone who hasn't listened to it, it was the mushrooms and she'd take the middle out of like, a was it like a button mushroom? And then she'd put mayonnaise in it. Yeah. If you get, so you imagine your bog standard, a button mushroom, I wish. Imagine your your, your bog standard stinky mushrooms that you get in a punnet for about a quid. (laughs) Um, you know, and you get it out, and it's got it's it's got the, the big center, and it's got a bit of mud in it, and the, and then the slimy skin, right? She was just getting them, snapping the center out, and then just getting mayo and going, you know, the farty farty yeah, helmet, yeah. and just going, <clears throat> and then just putting them in her mouth, and she's going, I won't do her accent because it's so lovely and delightful, but she's kind of going, oh, it's like a little snack, it's like a little posh <laughs> snack. Isn't it posh? It's fancy. <laughs> fancy. It's what fancy people eat. I'm like, Laura, stop it. You're frightening me. She's going, Where I is... think that's what you actually said. <laughs> She's like, stop. I'm scared. Just stop. stop putting them in your mouth. The, the mayo was warm. The mushroom, oh, stop. The mushroom was slimy and soily. But I yeah, love no. the fact that, you know, as a comfort food, you know, right enough when she was young, she used to have them because her and her mum used to kind of 
like get ready, make meals together and go, oh, what would, you know, what would a posh person have? They'd have these. I love it. I I, yeah, no, look, it's, it's actually, it's, like. it's a brilliant concept. <laughs> no, but it's a brilliant concept because it really is. There's always that conversation about what you're like behind closed doors. Yeah. And yeah. what you eat behind closed doors is part of that conversation. I think, it, I think it's a brilliant idea. No. So we have now come to the end and oh. I always finish with a few uh, questions. So oh. are you ready? Oh, absolutely she was born ready she was born ready okay what is the craziest food you've ever eaten uh somebody once served me uh a sugar spoon replicant condom which is made of sugar and it was styled to look like a used condom and they had pumped sugar syrup into the bottom so it looked like sperm and it was sitting on a load of sherbet, and it was called Sex on the Beach. Which country and was this? Was this in this, this country? It was in London. It was in London. Right. It was okay. in London. And it I was, don't even know and, what to say. I, I, thank you. I <laughs> was, it was, the, the chef had taken us on a journey that, that day. Oh, he took you on a journey? <laughs> He'd taken us on a journey. It was, he was, he was one of those kind of bad boy chefs. I'm so okay. bad. I'm so I'm so edgy, you know. And uh, and I, I'd been there for I think I'd been in his restaurant for about two and a half hours, desperately trying to go. It was one of those rest. It was one of those dinners which was technically kidnap. I was like, <laughs> please let me go. No, you must have the chef's final course. It's called Sex on the Beach, and you will never sleep again. I did not eat mine. Okay. There's there's, there's Mm. a picture of it on my Instagram. So yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay, that was that was a good one. Haven't had that answer before. Um, I wonder if this is going to be a difficult one for you. What has been your most memorable meal? Oh God. Um, When I was, I want I. Okay, Lord God, there's hundreds of memorable meals. I can't answer it. One that was special to me was probably when I went and met the guy that I'm with now and I went and met him for a quick coffee because I thought oh god I've been talking to you on whatsapp and if you turn out to be a dickhead I might as well just find out now because I can't be bothered to put any more time into this in fact I can't even be bothered to do full smoky eye that's how that <laughs> that is how that I'm I think I might put yesterday's lashes on you know the, the you know the ones that have still got bits of eye glow, oh yeah 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 attached them they were probably yeah. on like like this one going here yeah. one going there <laughs> So I just kind of put on like a grain bra and like, I was like, I'm not, I don't even care. There's no um, effort whatsoever going no on effort, into this one. None, no, none whatsoever. Like, and uh, because let's face it, you're not going to look anything like you, you say you look, right? And then I walked in and he did, he was like, he was fit. And uh, we talked for a little while and had some drinks and we ended up, we looked at each other and went, do you want to go for some dinner? <gasps> and we went for dinner at Marito. Oh, lovely. And I love Marito. Nice, yes. And I've been going to Marito, uh, for anyone listening to it, it's in Hackney uh, in East London. And I have been going there for uh, for a long time. And we just went in and we sat at the bar. And, uh, and I remember just sitting there thinking, yeah, 
they're all right you but you never know when you're going to see them again because no. like you know you literally never know do you you kind of and that's well, a bit changes. like it's a bit like Kenneth isn't it from back in the day oh as if you're going to bring him up again <laughs> what a wanker I wouldn't have taken Kenneth to Marito. Bloody hell, no way. What a waste of food. (laughs) Do you know something? He wouldn't have even turned up. He'd have left me sitting there in those eyelashes and grey bra. He wouldn't have turned up. And then he'd have ghosted me and blocked me on Insta. Literally. Um, So, no, that's always a special That's a lovely... I like that. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll take that one. Right, the most important question of the entire conversation. My favourite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. What is your favourite flavour of crisps and why? This is a big one, Grace. Right. I think if I was allowed to have any crisp, I would have to go for pickled onion. Monster Munch. There you go. Oh my god! I knew we were going to be friends. There I knew you go. it. There I knew it. I knew it. It would be. I would. I would always go for the pickled onion Monster Munch. If there was just a packet of your your your, your common and garden crisps, and if we could get pickled onion in that, I I, I love I love pickled onion. Not Grace. salt and vinegar. Not salt and vinegar. Although I do like salt and vinegar. It has to be pickled <laughs> onion. Correct. It has to be that kind of where it gets you. They have to be again be a difficult eat. They have to be a bit like, oh, I don't know if I've got any roof on the top of my mouth. Yeah, I, I want ulc- I want all the ulcers. I want, I want everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good packet of crisps should always be followed at least twenty four hours later by buying bonjella. Okay, Grace, I'm just telling you. Right, I've been doing this for over two years now, and I. <laughs> I would say my devoted followers do know about my relationship with Pickled Onion Monster Munch. Oh and it does get thrown out there a few times by some of my guests. But honestly, I was I was literally resting <laughs> all of my life savings on your answer because I really take you as like the holy grail of like good tastes in life. So I know that we can continue this relationship moving forward. I think so. Had, had you have said prawn cocktail... I would have ended this conversation very quickly. Who are these people? I will tell you that after recording. Honestly. I I, I think I have actually offended some of my guests. They walk amongst us and it's frightening, isn't it? These people that walk in and go, oh, I'll tell you what. Oh, I'll have a lovely packet of prawn cocktail, Chris. I'm I'm craving a prawn cocktail. (laughs) What is that? It's not even a flavour. It's not a flavour. It's not. It's not a flavour. Who go tell me one celebrity that said prawn cocktail? Do you know uh, the comedian Omar Jalili? He doesn't like prawn. He did, cocktail. and I have to say, and I, I, I actually, he, it's fine. We got on really well. It turns out he actually weirdly knew my granddad because I'm half Iranian, and um, he, uh, he was so shocked by my reaction. <laughs> that I think that he was taken a bit by surprise by how serious I was taking the question. And he literally was like, oh, um, well, yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, Hannah, you know, um, yeah, the point is, is that it's just chemicals. It's not really a flavour. And I'm like, Omid, you were doing so well. But I don't know how we continue this. I, I don't. 
from quite a few people quite a few people have thrown it out there and it it, 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 I judge I judge on it you have to think what happened to them as children really I I know I know But you passed with flying colours, so it's fine. Okay, next question. Which food sums up happiness for you? Um, Oh, and it's quite, again, this is quite boring, but it would always be white bread and butter and some kind of, oh, God, you know, happiness is, Happiness is is toast and butter and mm. and lemon curd, toast and Ooh. butter and jam, toast and butter and marmalade. That's the thing that it will always always hit the spot. There is no. I love that. It's almost people aren't you know bread has become this naughty thing, hasn't it? Mm. Because we've all sussed, we've all we've all kind of sussed that bread isn't isn't the best thing for you you know there's no bad and good foods but but eating loaves and loaves of bread maybe isn't isn't as good as it could be so I love I love I just love sitting and wantonly eating bread and butter it's funny I always I always say that sometimes when I go out for to restaurants the the bread the bread part is is where everybody's got something things on point you know like the, that's a very of, important moment it is and they and, and restaurants have caught on to that they've yeah. they've very much yeah you go into places and uh suddenly they kind of bring out this incredible you know soda bread with cultured guinness butter or something Gosh. like that or yeah. treacle bread with you know yeah delicious and uh, we get marmite butter a lot and it's that kind of it, and it is it's funny how they bring that out because they know that people it does it it does bring people joy and happiness right totally yeah final question live to eat or eat to live it has to be live to eat it has to be yeah it's i would i'd love for it to be eat to live i would love honestly when i'm when i'm desperately trying to rein in um, the excesses of my life and sta- staring at a load of dresses in a wardrobe going, oh, well, these dresses are obviously made of very cheap material because <laughs> all of the, just some of them are really, the, the buttons have gone on them. You know, I would really, I, I would love that. Uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to blame something else, but it isn't, it's, I'm, I, I do, I, I, I live to eat. I, I get up in the morning and I I immediately start kind of planning. Me too. Planning. I have a kind of well, if I just have a small breakfast now, that means I could have another small breakfast later, and then <laughs> and then and then a, a lunch, and then that would put me on till dinner, which was ah, oh, it's just. And then you're just like lost in in the realm of yeah. of it all. I yeah. totally get it. It's it's my fault too, if that's what I'm going to call it. Grace, it this has honestly been the biggest pleasure. Um, I hope one day we can sit down and have food. I would so love to do that with you. Uh, and we'll that. finish off with pickled onion monster munch. That's all I we're hope... eating. That's all I know, I know. It's, it's fine, a it's massive fine. Massive trough of crisps. One of my dreams has always been to sit in a swimming pool of crisps. So maybe we do that together. I don't know. I think that's an achievable dream. 
Okay, cool. Uh, I hope Kenneth does call you back one day. Let me know. And you've been a delight. An angel delight. There we oh, go. I see what you did there. Thank you for having me. You're amazing. Thank you so, so much, Grace. Honestly, speak to you soon. Until next time, guys. I don't know how to get out of this call. I live here now. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.